This is Superior Sports Talk with Reggie Wilson and Luke Inman, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota, and it starts now. at it another episode of superior sports talk presented by lockdown sports minnesota what's happening reggie what's up it's the weekend baby feels good finally a uh a little bit of a slow news day in minnesota sports but don't worry we got plenty to talk about we're gonna break down kirk cousins and the minnesota vikings and also breaking down all the drama whirling around the NCAA's NIL rule. Plus, later, I'm putting Reggie on the hot seat with what does it mean. It's all coming up on Superior Sports Talk. But first, if you enjoy Superior Sports Talk, you'll also enjoy our other daily show with former NFL receiver Ron Johnson. Ron offers the unique view of an athlete-turned-broadcaster and brings you high-profile guests like Braylon Edwards, Adam Thielen, and Robert Smith. Subscribe to Lockdown Sports Minnesota YouTube channel or your favorite podcast feeds so you never miss an episode. All right, well, let's talk about those Vikings, shall we? PFF released their way-too-early 22-man starting <laughs> projections. Reggie loves this already. And to be honest, <laughs> nothing too shocking. I mean, pretty chalk as expected when it comes to the starters. Ed Engram was penciled in as right guard. And PFF also had Andrew Booth Jr. beating out Chandon Sullivan for the nickel position. Now, the secondary and guard spot, it's going to be a wait-and-see approach. A lot of moving parts in place right now. But I don't know. Anything stick out to you in PFF's latest projection? To be honest, if I was going to put my money down right now, I think it just feels like one of those vets is your starter at right guard. Week one, not an Engram personally. Yeah, I think that was probably like my only qualm, if I had a qualm about it. Because mm -hmm. like you said, it really is just kind of chalk. Um, you got... You know, Daniil Hunter on the edge, Zadarius Smith on the other edge, Kendricks and Hicks on, on the inside, which I think is going to be really, really strong for them uh, in this 3-4 system. But, you know, you start Andrew Booth Jr., you got Shandon Sullivan there. Um, it looks like they got Lewis Seen beating out Cam Bynum for the other safety spot. Uh, I, I think that, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they – kind of you know implore this lineup on the defensive back end I don't know I, I find it interesting I think it's going to be um I think it's going to be one of those things where they find a way to get Cam Bynum involved more often as well like it's it's funny like this was supposed to be like his year to shine he flashed in mm -hmm. a couple uh games last year uh filling in for Harry and this was supposed to be his his year to shine, and then they drafted Lewisine in the first round. He's probably like, "Wait a minute, poor guy. What about me? What, what didn't I show a little? You know, didn't I show a little something?" And I think what's interesting is, you know, PFF they not with Cam Bynum shooting in the gym, mm. you know. Mm. But I, I'm interested to see how these position battles play out in training camp. Three safety looks. That's what I'm banging the table for. Three safety looks. 
the best coaches in the NFL, we talked about it yesterday, find a way to maximize their players' talents. And I think Cam Bynum, what he showed last year, mixed in with the rookie Lewis scene. We know his high-end potential. And then obviously mm-hmm. Harrison Smith. I think you find a way, and I think you might see a lot of three-safety looks this year. It's nice because you don't have to rush back Andrew Booth Jr. from this injury. Another yeah. reason I don't think he starts out the gate. I think you slowly mix him in weeks two, three, four, and five, and just kind of see what you get from him from a small sample size. And don't forget, they didn't break the bank paying Chandon Sullivan by any means, but I mean, they paid him enough for me to say they certainly have high expectations for him to be the starter in the nickel, at least right away. And and, and the nickel position is a tough position in the NFL. I don't think it gets talked about enough how difficult it is to match up with so many different receivers on the inside with very little help. So I think you go with a proven vet like Chandon Sullivan and start to mix in Andrew Booth Jr. But yeah, finding a way to get Cam Bynum and those three safeties on the field at the same time. Remember, Cam Bynum even played cornerback at Cal. So uh, there's a way to mix and match him. Ed Donatel's going to have his hands full. He's going to have to sprinkle in a lot of different wrinkles and different looks, but he's got a lot of talent to use and a lot of versatility to choose from. The other position that I'm just starting to just... I'm just wondering here in the back of my mind, is that third defensive line position as well? We talked about that a little bit earlier in the week. Armin Watts seems to be the guy right now, but James Lynch, again, a true five-tech at Baylor, flashed quite a bit for me. And then even Kenny Willekes from Michigan State, there's a little quiet position battle, I think, going on in the background that not a lot of people are talking about. Armin Watts certainly has proven that he should be the guy right out the gate, but I think that's a heavy rotation that we see. And who knows what Ed Donatello runs maybe he runs you know three four base but maybe he runs a a two four or four two which just means maybe only two defensive linemen at times maybe sometimes it's four defensive linemen so a lot of different wrinkles a lot of different looks plenty of time to break all that down rest assured it's going to be a long off season don't worry all right I hate to do this, Reggie. I really do. I can't stand this back and forth. Kirk Cousins on Twitter, constant and absolutely exhausting talk all the time. Is he a top 10 quarterback in the league or is he not? But I guess that's just where we're at today in the offseason because our very own Lockdown Minnesota's Ron Johnson, he started some good, healthy, heated debate on Twitter yesterday and posed the question, is Kirk Cousins a top 10 quarterback in the NFL? Even Shannon Sharp got into the action, and ripped off 10 quarterbacks he'd choose over Kirk. Reggie, where do you stand on all this? We've never really discussed this often, talked about topic in depth yet here on the show. I'm curious what your opinion is on Kirk Cousins and where he ranks as a starting quarterback in the NFL in your eyes. Who? <laughs> you know, yeah. this is an interesting topic because Kirk Cousins is a very polarizing mm-hmm subject and quarterback and I think Kirk Cousins and I I said something like this on Twitter and the people came after me I think I said Kirk was an above average quarterback I I don't think he's like an elite guy like a guy that you're going to put the ball in his hands and he's going to go win you a football game he has some capabilities um that game against Carolina sticks out Mm. in overtime through a dart, like through an absolute dream of a throw to K.J. Osborne for the walk-off touchdown. And so Kirk has ability, 
but we haven't seen it often utilized to its potential at times, you know, like there have been times where, you know, I, I think back to the Cleveland Browns game. I think back to the Dallas Cowboys game where he just really, and, and some people may say, well, the coaching staff didn't put him in good enough position to succeed. The best quarterbacks thrive in spite of the coaching staff. And you look at guys like Joe Burrow. You look at guys like Brady, Rodgers, back when Breeze played, Breeze. You know, didn't matter what the the coaching was or or if it was great or not. They were going to go and make a play when they needed it to be done. And sometimes you just don't see that from Kirk. And, you know, there's a lot to be said about his primetime performances. You know, but I started looking at some of these people's lists, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know. When you put put a, a list together and you put Derek Carr as a top 10 quarterback, and I believe Derek Carr is a fine quarterback. He is... He's he's good. But I also kind of put him in that same tier of being above average. And if you're asking me for my money, who I take between Carr and Cousins, I think I I think I lean more Cousins. And so I I don't know. It's it's so interesting seeing all these people, you know, put together their top list. Because I think after once you get like past like seven top seven I think it's just kind of whoever you want after that point so if if you're if you're going those last three spots being up for grabs in that top 10 I would put Cousins in there yeah you got your elite Kirk Cousins no I don't think many I hope not people are arguing Kirk Cousins is elite he's not in that top six top seven but he's definitely in that second tier no doubt I mean Mm -hmm. everybody flings out the stats Top 10 in passing yards, top 10 in TDs, top 5 in interceptions, top 5 in passer ratings. Stats don't lie, I get it. But what's misconceiving Mm -hmm. about Kirk, and you talked about it, and what a lot of people will bring to the table, is his overall record. Yeah, I mean, QB wins. Is it a stat? People talk about that on Twitter all the time. 59-59-10-2. I mean, exactly 500 to a T. It cannot get more middle of the road than that. He wins as many as he loses. And and when the lights are the brightest, as you mentioned, Reggie, and, and the big stages there and, and, and primetime games, those records crumble, man. And I think that's what fans need to see from Kirk to cement him in that top 10 discussion is not only win some big-time games, but show up in some big pressure spots in the game. Lead his team back from big deficits. You talked about the Carolina game. Great game. How about the Denver Bronco game two years ago, down 20-zip at halftime? Kirk rallies him back. Okay, so there's a couple there on his resume, but rally his offense on more game-winning drives week in and week out. Show that it factor that a lot of these other top quarterbacks have shown. And while he's certainly done that from time to time and shown he's capable of doing it, he hasn't done it at a consistent level, and the record shows that. And you could argue, well, he spent the first four years in Washington. So when you look at his overall career record, I mean, 
he wasn't surrounded by a great cast there for four of those years, but he just doesn't strike that fear in a defense in those final two minutes of a game. And I think that's what fans who say he's not a top 10 guy will always point back to until proven otherwise, not just the stats. Those are nice for sure. And that's what keeps him in that top 10 discussion. But I don't think he's in that elite category, and I don't think many other people would argue. All right, coming up, Jimbo Fisher fires back at Nick Saban's remarks yesterday. And later, I'm putting Reggie on the hot seat with what does it mean. But first, do you want instant postgame reaction from insiders that cover your favorite teams? Check out our Lockdown Sports Minnesota podcast on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Following every Twins, Vikings, Wild, or Wolves game, our Lockdown team hosts are broadcasting live with team insiders like Kevin Gorg for the Wild and Brandon Warren for the Twins. Never miss a podcast by subscribing to the Lockdown Sports Minnesota YouTube channel. All right, Reggie, um, (laughs) we got you all fired up yesterday breaking down (laughs) Nick Saban's remarks on the NIL agreement after he called out Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher for buying their recruits, which ranked number one in all of college football over Alabama for the first time in years. But yesterday, Jimbo Fisher fired back at Saban saying, and I'm quoting here some some good juicy quotes here. Some people think they're God. Go dig into how God did his deal. You may find out a lot of things you don't want to. We build him up to be the Caesar of football. Go dig into his past or anybody's that's ever coached with him. You can find out anything you want to find out what he does and how he does it. It's despicable. All right, mm. we got your knee-jerk reaction from Saban yesterday. How about your quick knee-jerk reaction from Jimbo Fisher's reaction and remarks to Nick Saban yesterday? How about Nick Saban apologizing for getting yeah. things all stirred up yesterday? Mm-hmm. Not really apologizing for what he said no. or, or you know, his, his viewpoint because I think he still is there on that viewpoint. Just just apologizing for, for stirring things up so much. <laughs> just apologizing to apologize. Kind of dancing yeah. around everything a little bit. Yep. Yeah. And it's just so interesting because you look at some of these coaches, man, and look, Jimbo's got a national championship. You know, he's building he's building these these powerhouse, you know, recruits and and top classes every year at Texas A&M offer them to go play in the 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 Heinz ketchup bowl you know <laughs> I, I think it's hilarious like like you're Alabama and you're going and playing in the college football playoff every year and Jimbo you're hoping to do that at Texas A&M but for some reason you know you're going to go play in the Oscar Mayer Bowl. Like, I, I mean, look, it's spicy. I enjoy it. Right. Yep. You know, like, one thing about Reggie Wilson, he is here for all the smoke. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was just highly entertaining yesterday. But what was funny about the whole rant with Jimbo is he did all that talking. He did all that spicy, spicy, spicy nugs from Wendy's, you know, like he did all of that only to not really disagree with Saban. <laughs> You're right, though. You're right. He didn't disagree with Saban. You're right. He was just like, hey, man, look, don't don't be don't be talking about us over here. OK, 
look, keep that, keep that same energy. Keep keep that over there. You know, you're right though. But still, still, don't don't talk about don't talk about us. Look, we we over here trying to catch up to you. Like, why are you over here trying to, you know, blow blow up the spot on us? You're right though. But still, <laughs> look, look, I'm just over here trying to trying to build a program. That's all I'm doing. I got a great class. I'm feeling good. And here you go. Trying to trying to mess it all up. But you're right. That that's really kind of like how I interpreted yesterday. But I was here for all the spicy talk. Yeah, speaking of the NIL, just a great example right here of the transfer portal. Pittsburgh wide receiver, the Bolitnikoff Award winner, the number one receiver in all of college football, Jordan Addison, is going to transfer to USC. He announced on social media yesterday, and it's mm. rumored he may end up getting pocketed three, maybe three and a half million dollars to do so. I mean, mm. I thought when this all started, I thought we were talking like 40, 50K, maybe 100, 150 for those top quarterbacks in the country. Mm-hmm. Three and a half million dollars, Reggie. I mean, this is getting wild. So he goes to USC. He follows Lincoln Riley, who's bringing his quarterback Caleb Williams over to him. Is this a good look for the NIL, the NCAA football? Is this going to ruin things here as we move forward in the future, the next few years? You know, what's interesting is with this, you know, rumor or whatever. Like, we never get a chance to like confirm these things. That's like, true. get it confirmed. Like. We always like hear like, oh man, he signed for this or, you know, he got this for the NIL and all that. But like nobody is really able to make sure that it's true or not. And so, you know, for all we know, he signed with USC because he wanted to go play for Lincoln Riley and he liked what they were building over there. He was excited about that. And for his future draft prospects, getting a little bit more, you know, notoriety, getting a little bit more you know, eyeballs on his game playing at USC as opposed to playing at Pitt, especially after Kenny Pickett got drafted to the Steelers. Like, hey, I'm going over here playing for a, a quarterback that that is established that, you know, can get me the ball better, you know, for a high-profile program, for a, a, a head coach who has all kinds of, of offensive firepower in his toolery. And, you know, just call it that. But, you know, like these NIL deals, it just it just strikes me because, you know, for a long time, you know, it was talked about how the playing field wasn't equal. And, you know, these other sports have a little bit more, you know, perks than the other sports, you know, like like football players have a little bit more perks than maybe like the tennis players and all that. And it's just so funny because like for the longest time, we had this talk about should athletes be getting paid or not? And the, you know, the other side of that was, well, they're getting, you know, scholarship money and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they're getting a free education and, you know, playing football and all that. And on the other side, it's like, well, they got families to feed still. And just because they aren't able to to break their amateur status and become pro doesn't mean that they shouldn't be able to make money. And now we're seeing all these rumored deals to be just kind of breaking the bank. And we're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Like, let's, you know, let's make sure that, you know, school is still the top priority. But, you know, some of these guys, you know, they flame out once they go to the NFL. Some of these guys, they they just aren't the same guys. So if they have the potential to maximize their profits as a college player, if maybe it doesn't work out at the next level, you know, more power to them. But what we're like kind of seeing is these NIL deals kind of dictate things. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, they, they go to the highest bidder. And when they do that, Maybe it just kind of it kind of you know muddies up the college football landscape a bit, and I think that was kind of the point that Saban was trying to make, but he did it really messy. I just wonder how much these kids are going to regret that decision, hopping around from team to team, program to program, when they mm -hmm. look back in five, ten years. Like, I mean, this guy could have stayed at Pitt and have been a four or five year stud and been on the Pittsburgh Wall Hall of Fame next to Larry Fitzgerald as one of the best Pittsburgh players of all time next to Aaron Donald and Larry Fitzgerald. Now, I'm not going to knock anybody for going to get paid. Like you mentioned, anything can happen. Go get some money if you can make it when it's presented to you. But the other thing is, too, you don't know what USC is going to do next year. I mean, yeah. a lot of these guys transfer over and they end up eight and six, seven and seven, six and eight, whatever it may be. Pittsburgh just won the ACC title last year. I mean, he's leaving a great program right there. There's just some cons that I'm worried about. Maybe some of these athletes aren't thinking about in five, 10 years, they may regret. I feel like it, it kind of waters down this entire process. Alabama, Texas A&M, they play later in the season. Plenty of people will be, uh, they'll be fired up for that one, Reggie. Lane right. Kiffin, Lane Kiffin <laughs> tweeted, with that matchup, hot buttered popcorn. I love it. I love it. I can't it. wait. I can't wait. Circle that one right now. All right, the time has come. My favorite segment is here. I'm putting Reggie on the hot seat with what does it mean, covering all the latest hot topics in Minnesota sports. ESPN released every NBA's team's offseason game plan and noted that signing Carl Towns to a Supermax deal and finding depth at small forward and power forward should be the two biggest areas of focus first and foremost for the Wolves. What does it mean when trying to predict the Wolves offseason here and in your opinion on the moves recommended? Any other ideas or suggestions in the process? Yeah, so first off, I agree, you know, with signing Cat to the Supermax. I mean, it's so funny because I feel like Cat is also one of those polarizing players in Minnesota sports where people either love him or they don't. And, like, for all those who don't, tell me who you want better. Like, tell me who you want that will come in and impact a game like he will or better. And who you're going to get for him by trading him away. Like, how these trades work, they, you never really get, like, who you should. You never really get the type of return especially on these NBA trades, like, it never really works out in that regard. But I do think what needs to be done, and, and they got Patrick Beverly, and I actually was talking to Myra Metcalf about this yesterday. Like, they can, they can do only so much with Patrick Beverly because at some point, you know, Patrick Beverly is more talk than he is substance. And what he provides to that team is helpful. So 
let me get that out of there. But what I think needs to happen is they need like a they need like a floor general. Mm-hmm. Like they need to trade for like a veteran guy who is, you know, established and somebody who can like help lead them out there, help kind of shift some of that that dog mindset and that mentality. And like, you know, Patrick Beverly was helpful to that. But then, you know, he's going out there only scoring like eight, nine, ten points a game sometimes. And so it's just like, you know, it's kind of hard to get behind that when he's not the guy kind of leading the effort. You know, like they had a guy like Jimmy Butler who was, you know, ideal for that. But then he just got so toxic because he just he can't get along with guys and he was rubbing people the wrong way. You don't need a guy that is going to rub people the wrong way, but you need like a good culture guy. You know, like Chris Paul came to Phoenix and really just kind of turned that thing for the better. Like they were already trending in the right direction. It seemed to be, you know, kind of getting over the hump after what you saw the Suns do in the bubble. And then they signed Chris Paul. And not only was he like a leader for them and, and helped challenge them to be great, but he was also going out there putting up 20 and 10. And playing good defense, like leading the effort. They need a guy like that. And I don't know what you do. I don't know if you offload a D-Lo or, you know, I I really don't know what you do if if you're the Timberwolves. But you got to get a veteran guy like that in the locker room, on the court with them, if you really want to see them kind of take that next step and get over the top. Yeah, other small moves to just keep in the back of your mind. Nas Reed has a $1.9 million option there. I think that's probably a no-brainer. And then they got four draft picks. Yeah, they got four draft picks too. 19, 40, 48, and 51. Out of the lottery. Yeah, yeah. I know you're more of an NBA draft guy than I am, more NFL draft guy. I don't think those second-round picks usually pan out for the most part, but Not I mean, usually. they got some ammo, I guess. I don't know what you do with that. Can you package something? I don't know, but um, some options and assets there to play with, I think. there. You'll see them not not being the in the draft lottery. I think Randy nice. Shaver brought that up the other day when they did the draft lottery. You know, you saw guys and, and teams in there like, you know, the Portland Trailblazer. You're like, wow, like you never thought you would see that day with Dame on their team, but they were yeah. in the lottery. I think they got number seven. But it's kind of cool to not see the Timberwolves in the draft lottery for once. But now, you know, you talk about building this team, you're going to have to do it from outside of the draft because, you know, at 19, you you might get a fine player, but I don't think at 19 you expect to get a guy that's going to come in and start day one. Next one up, what does it mean? Wild head coach Dean Evison held a lengthy end-of-the-season interview and during it seemed to downplay Kevin Fiala's season saying – he had three good months for us uh, with the Dang. vibe, the, the writing. Yeah, man, the, the serious vibe of like the writings on the wall here for Fiala won't be back next season. Remember, the Wild faced some serious cap issues anyways. What does it mean for Fiala's future with the team? And after hearing Evison's quotes, if a separation is imminent here, Reggie, could the team try to trade Fiala and maybe net something in return? He's out. Like, he's going to get traded. I think it's it's just so funny between reading in between the lines between what Everson is saying, what Garen is saying. You know, they're trying not to, you know, show their hand too much because, you know, then you lose your leverage. But you can't keep Fiala. Like, he's gone, you know. And I think 
I think playoff performance aside, I think they ideally would like to keep him because he is a fine player. But when you're faced with the cap issues that you do have, I think it's tough. I think it's really tough to to keep a player like that, especially when you you kind of look at the performance that he had in the postseason and you're like, well, you know, maybe we can get one of these other guys to really kind of step up and and really be, you know, a guy in, in his place, you know, as a goal scorer. You, you're going to see Matt Boldy have another year under his belt. Uh, he's going to be a little bit more comfortable. Maybe you go more towards a youth movement and just hope that the upside pays off, you know, because the team still has expectations to to go to the playoffs and to get out of the first round, but they're going to have to be a little bit more creative to do that next season. They say they want both of the goaltenders back. We'll see if that happens. You know, they they got a decision to make about Fiala. I think they, they're going to trade him within the next few months. It's just tough luck. You know, you, you try to build around Kirill and, and see how far that unit can take you because now you're just kind of up against it and you don't really know what else to do. There is really no other recourse but to trade Fiala to try to get back into the swing of things and, and really just try to get – more balanced under the cap. Yeah, just so many different variables and wild cards to this. What's going to be a tough, wild offseason after ending on a sour note to the Blues in round one. Blues, by the way, tied that series up with the Avalanche. Looked oh, yeah. on the Avalanche yesterday, last night, four to one. That series back tied up one apiece. Last one, what does it mean with Reggie? After getting smoked last night in game two, 127-102, Stephen A. Smith said the Miami Heat are going to lose this one in five if Jimmy Butler doesn't get any help. Referring to the Boston Celtics' new game plan they implemented last night that worked seemingly to perfection, what does it mean when analyzing the first two games of the series and the adjustments made by Boston last night and predicting how the rest of this matchup shakes out here, Reggie? What do you think? I still think this series is going seven. I think Stephen A. Smith is mad. I think he is a madman <laughs> for, for saying yeah, something yeah, yeah. like that. You know, I, I think, you know, I don't even know why he says something like that because he loves South Beach and he wants to he wants to stay down there as long as possible. And so the longer this series goes, the longer he has down in South Beach. And so what's funny is like these two first uh, games have been blowouts on both sides. And you would hope that moving forward, they would just kind of like even out stabilize a little bit more where you kind of see these dog fights in games three, four, five, and six and seven. And I don't know. I don't take anything from that. The Celtics needed no. to get back into the series and they did. You know, maybe you didn't expect them to blow out the heat, but man, Spo is a great coach. He's gonna make adjustments. That team is not going to play like that again. They hope to be able to get Kyle Lowry back at some point, and he's going to help them as well. Like I, I, I don't think, I, I don't, I don't rush to any conclusions after watching that game last night because, you know, it's a, it's a seesaw with these playoffs. You know, some games are are blowouts, and you know sometimes that's just what happens. 
But I, I don't see them getting blown out and just being like, oh my gosh, they're in such trouble. No, like they're gonna they're gonna respond and come back and they may even win game three. And then away we go, going back and forth. Just, you know, a dogfight. I, I think we all expected that from this series. And one or two little blowouts is not going to change that. Well, I don't know what Stephen A is talking about, though. I, I, I'm i with you, Reggie. I think this one goes seven for sure. All yeah. right, he survived the gauntlet. Once again, we're back here Monday morning, breaking down more Twins, Vikings, and plenty more. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel and join us every day for another episode covering all the biggest topics in Minnesota sports. He's Reggie Wilson. Follow him on Twitter, at ReggieWilsonTV, and on CARE11. I'm Luke Inman on Twitter, at Luke underscore Spinman. Tune in Monday to Superior Sports Talk, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota. For Reggie, I'm Luke. Until Monday. Sign it out. Catch the CARE 11 Sports Extra tonight at 1015. Be blessed. Spread love this weekend. This is Superior Sports Talk with Reggie Wilson and Luke Inman, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota.